continuing a series that we've entitled Outpouring, a series on the Holy Spirit. This morning, I'd encourage you to turn in your Bible that you brought with you, or maybe one of the ones from the chairs, uh, to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 is where I'm going to be reading this morning, starting at verse 1. And <clears throat> venturing into the book of Romans on this series, I got to tell you, it's a little, uh, it's a little daunting. But uh, let me give us a little orientation about where we are in Romans. Chapter 7 is this famous chapter where the Apostle Paul is talking about the struggle of uh, living in a human body and living in this, this world where we are tempted to sin. We know where, where God wants us to go. We, we know the kinds of things that God wants us to do. And yet, we find ourselves not doing those things sometimes. And Paul is being very honest in Romans chapter 7 about what that struggle is like. He says, the things that I should do, I don't do them. And, I, and the things that I, that I want to do, sometimes I, I, I just, I, I don't know. I, it, the things I, don't, I shouldn't be doing, I do them. The things I should be doing, I don't do them. And who is going to rescue me from this, this body I live in? He's basically saying. And then in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he turns a corner and starts to talk about it in a different way. And that's where we are. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Listen for the word of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his Spirit that dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, li 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If, in fact, we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. And then one more verse, verse 26 of this chapter. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we pray that you would guide us, inspire us with your Holy Spirit that we might grasp something today that will be practical and usable and will change us from the inside out. For we pray this in the name of Jesus, the Word made flesh. Amen. Do you love books? <laughs> yes, I do. I am actually not ashamed to admit that I have wasted a significant amount of time in bookstores. Uh, now, with the advent of ad, uh, Amazon.com and e-readers like Kindles, uh, it doesn't happen. Doesn't seem to happen as much as it used to. But truth be told, there were lots of times when I needed one book, one certain book. But I spent an extra thirty or sixty or ninety minutes looking for that book. <laughs> because bookstores have so many wonderful books. And to walk into one and just grab a book and leave, it seems a shame, you know? And it's just, it's difficult to go in and just get what you need, you know, without shopping. <laughs> so, if it's not books, maybe for you it's something else. Maybe it's clothing or um, electronics. They have these electronic stores like Fry's. Have you ever been to Fry's? Maybe it's music. Maybe it's crafts. I just experienced Hobby Lobby for the first time last week. I got to tell you, that's a little bit more than a lobby. There's, there's people wandering around in Hobby Lobby, and I've kind of wondered if they had been there for months. Just... But the sensation is familiar, yes? You step into a store for one thing, and then you realize that there are so many other things to see at the store, and it's easy to get distracted or discouraged or, or lost. <laughs> I'd like to suggest this morning that the book of Romans is kind of like the big box store of the New Testament. It is so full of ideas and concepts and about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And even in this one chapter, in Romans chapter 8, there are so many things going on at the same time. It's almost like a theological three-ring circus. The Apostle Paul is saying so many things at once, important things about uh, how those who are in Christ 
are no longer condemned to sin and death, but are set free to walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit. What follows is a rather complicated explanation, you heard it this morning, of how this all works. That true freedom in, in life is a life of trusting God rather than focusing on yourself. And then he makes this point of how um, we are made truly alive. And the Spirit of Christ is alive and at work in those who live this way. He emphasizes that concept of life. Remember, we've been talking a lot about this Old Testament word and this New Testament word. It's kind of been one of the themes of this series on the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament word, does anybody remember what it is? Ruach. It's almost an onomatopoeia. It's one of those words that kind of sounds like what it means. Ruach. Wind. Spirit. Life breath. And then the New Testament word. Numa, Which is also translated spirit or wind. Here is, in Romans 8, here is one of the most eloquent expressions of this in the whole Bible. Paul is saying that the life, the life that came back into Jesus, he was crucified, he's in the tomb, and life, breath, comes back into him. And this same life will come into you in a real way as you walk with Jesus as his disciple. What a picture. Then there's this amazing metaphor that he uses. And this is actually, this metaphor is what we came shopping in Romans chapter 8 to buy. <laughs> Verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit, Numa, of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. This is all about prayer and how the Spirit calls us to enter into this prayer. Now, as you know, prayer is, on a, on a basic level, is really talking to God. Yes? Conversing, which means listening and talking. Dialogue with God. This is prayer. But here's an amazing picture from Paul of how this happens. We address God using the name Abba, which translates um, really into English. The best translation is Dada. It's a term a baby would use to address her father. It's really 
primal speech. For many kids, the first experimental sound they would make would be something like ba, 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 ba. You've heard babies do this, ba, 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 or da, 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 da. At some point, a baby is making that sound, da, 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 and this amazing, large, familiar, hairy person appears and says, did you hear that? Did you hear that sound? She said, Dada, that's me. <laughs> and this thing starts to happen. This communication begins to happen between a baby and Dada. Dada is a term of beginning speech. Abba, same thing. Spoken from a place of utter dependence and weakness. Babies are incapable of really doing anything for themselves. But they find this amazing connection with their parents when they say things like dada or mama. And something starts to happen. So this is what Paul is talking about. Paul says, this is the prayer that the Holy Spirit enables when we say, Abba, something begins. And then in verse 26, there's this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. So in this series now we have on the Holy Spirit this fall, this is something we need to be sure to emphasize. That the Holy Spirit has an amazing role in enabling and inspiring, literally inspiring, our prayers. Now there's so many things we could say about this, um, and we need to focus because we, we only have a few minutes this morning. But I would like to follow the example of uh, a British theologian. His name is Michael Green. He wrote the book, I Believe in the Holy Spirit, which is a great book, by the way. You can still get it. Um, it's published by Erdman's Publishers. It's part of a series, the I Believe series, um, where really it goes through all of the statements of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Father. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the church, all these different books by people like, like uh, George Eldon Ladd and I. Howard Marshall. Um, so major New Testament scholars. And this book by Michael Green, I believe in the Holy Spirit, is a, is a great, great book. And he, is, he basically says that there are three ways or three levels of how this being enabled to pray by the Holy Spirit, how this happens, this relationship between the Holy Spirit and prayer. First of all, Green suggests that the Spirit enables an intensity of prayer that is potentially deep and free at the same time. Elsewhere in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks about praying in the Spirit. This is a phrase that he uses repeatedly you can look it up in uh, Ephesians 6.18, 1 
and in Jude 20, he uses this phrase, pray in the Spirit. He's encouraging people to do this, praying in the Spirit. And there's this possibility of praying for a time and maybe even to the point where you lose track of time and hours could possibly go by when one is praying in the Spirit. This is an especially amazing gift when you come to a time in your life when you are at the end of your rope or when there's no options, you have no answers for what you could do other than pray. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had an experience, a time in your life when you just didn't have a clue what to do next? other than just pray. I remember March of 1989 this way. My brother-in-law, Marty Shepard, had just unexpectedly died of acute respiratory distress syndrome. It's uh, basically he, one day we heard he had pneumonia. The next day we heard that he had acute respiratory distress syndrome not really knowing what that was. And then a day later, he was gone. It was just, it happened so fast. And he left uh, a young wife, my sister. He was in his 30s. So my, my sister was suddenly a widow, their seven-year-old son and five-year-old daughter no longer had a daddy. On the plane ride home from California, this happened while we were down in California for seminary. <clears throat> I, remember, I remember that plane ride home. So Southern California to Seattle. How many, how, is that like three or four hours, right, on a plane? I remember sitting there and just thinking, I don't even know what to do. I don't know what to think. I, I'm just I'm drawing a blank. I had, this was such a shock. I think I need to pray. So I just started to pray. And um, I didn't fall asleep, I know that. But I was actually really surprised when suddenly it was like, oh, we're landing. This time just went by as I was, as I was praying. And it was the most amazing experience because not only was I, I suddenly felt this great comfort and peace, but as I look back on that, I realized that God allowed some amazing things to happen during those days and the weeks that followed as our family came together, as we grieved, as we cared for my sister and her kids. It was a tragic time, but it was also strangely sweet to be together. I remember the story my mother told of when she actually told this little girl, five-year-old five girl and seven-year-old um, boy, that their daddy had died, and how she did that, and how they experienced that. It was, it was amazing what God allowed her to do. But this is what the Holy Spirit allows, a deep, intense, free experience of prayer. And it's a gift. It's, it's amazing when God allows us to pray that way. So speaking of gifts, a second way 
that Green points out is, is that God can give the spiritual gift of tongues to the disciple of Jesus. Now, there are a lot of questions about this and that are in some ways unfortunate because I don't really believe that God intended the gift of tongues to be confusing or, or weird in any way or to be a litmus test to show whether someone has the gift of the Holy Spirit. And some of this may have happened to you. It did to me when I was a, when I was a younger Christian. I heard teaching that if you didn't receive the gift of tongues and you didn't have the Holy Spirit or you didn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there were some who were teaching that back um, a few years ago. I have found, actually I've noticed recently that Pentecostal churches um, don't necessarily teach this, this way anymore. It was a trend. And it's a, it, it was unfortunate. But basically, folks, it's, it's like this. If you would like the spiritual gift of praying in, in a prayer language, you can call it tongues or you can call it glossolalia, or it's the same thing. If you would like it, Ask God for it. It's as simple as that. And in my experience, some who ask for it receive it. Others don't. It's this way like any other spiritual gift. If you ask for a spiritual gift, God may give you that gift. God may not give you that gift. But if you ask for the gift of tongues, which is okay to do, and it's encouraged, actually. If you ask, then simply try. And if you find yourself praying in another language, cool. <laughs> really, it's, it's an amazing way to experience exactly what Paul is talking about here. When he says, we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us. That's what's happening. And what amazing thing this is, whether it's tongues or not, that when we don't know what to say, the Spirit takes over. And in the words of Stanley Harawas, we become part of a movement in which God answers God through our prayers. Now, this is kind of mind-boggling, I know. But it's also beautiful. Prayer is not something we do alone. We're entering a conversation between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's a conversation that's already been going on. We are drawn in. And, and it's so amazing. And here is a third level of prayer the Spirit enables. God helping us in our weakness. Think of a time when you, as maybe a younger person, maybe you're a younger person now, for some of us it's getting to be more and more a distant memory, but <laughs> think of a time when you were able to become part of a grown-up discussion for the first time. I think back to uh, some staff meetings 
at Bethany Community Church. I was in my 20s. I had just become uh, a pastor. And I was kind of surprised that I got to go to the pastoral staff meetings, but they were like, oh, you're a pastor of this church? Come to the pastoral staff meeting. So I was sitting there with these three other pastors who I had huge respect and admiration for. And I'm, I'm suddenly part of the conversation. And they would be talking about something, and for a while I didn't really give a lot of my ideas, but once in a while I would say something, and they would stop, and they would say, you know, that's really a good point, John. Let's talk some more about that. And I remember just thinking, oh, wow. I'm, I'm kind of doing big boy church now. I mean, it's just really exciting. And it was, it was just an just amazing experience. This is a bit of what the Holy Spirit does when we pray, when we begin maybe by only using the words Abba, Dada. And we don't really have words beyond that. Perhaps it's a prayer language or simply silence. But we are included in the conversation with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's no wonder that sometimes during prayer like that we receive great peace. Or new ideas come. Or, or we're given hope. Or, or relief, assurance. Maybe a deep sense of love for someone. When our weakness is in contact with God's greatness, this is what happens. Like being drawn into this conversation. There's a story of someone who came to a great man of prayer named John Hyde. He was actually known as Praying Hyde. He was a missionary to India in the, in the early 1900s. And the, the man who asked Praying Hyde to pray for him, he wrote this. He came to my room, turned the key in the door, dropped on his knees, waited five minutes without a single syllable coming from his lips. I could hear my own heart thumping and beating. I felt the hot tears running down my face. I knew I was with God. Then with upturned face, down which tears were streaming, he said, God, God. Then for five minutes at least, he was still again. And then when he knew he was talking with God, his arm went around my shoulder and there came up from the depth of his heart such petitions for men as I had never heard before. I rose from my knees to know what real prayer was. I want to experience prayer like that. This aspect of being allowed in, drawn in, invited in 
This is what the Holy Spirit does when we pray. And we are helped. This word, helped, is very suggestive in Romans 8.26. It literally means to take in hand with. And it has the sense of grasping our situation for us and with us. This is a little frustrating because I don't think we have an English word that means this. This is one of those things that is just, how do you express it? Sometimes when I'm faced with, with concepts like this, I, I begin to think about music because it helps me to understand it. And this actually, this concept of being drawn in and helped, it, it, it reminds me of the first time I went to play Irish music with a group of friends that I play Irish music with every Monday night. Um, I've told this story before. I won't tell the whole story. But the first time I showed up to do it, I thought I knew what to do. I didn't. Kind of made a fool of myself. But I didn't give up. I kept going. And <clears throat> on, an, on an evening, three hours, uh, we call it an Irish music session. In that three hours, there's probably around 45 or 50 different tunes that are played. And there are different ones every week. There's hundreds and hundreds of Irish tunes. And early on, as I was going, I would sit and listen. I have my, my instrument there in my lap, and I would sit and I would listen. And once in a great while, I would hear a tune that I knew. And so I, I'd play. And then they'd go off on another one and I'd stop. And I, I remember coming home and telling Chris, yeah, this is another, another discouraging night. I'm, I know I'm supposed to be there and do this, but I only knew one tune. I played with one tune. And then I came home one week and I said I played one and a half tunes. <laughs> and weeks would go by. And soon I was saying, yeah, I played three tunes tonight. I knew five tunes tonight. And on it went. I've been going now and doing this for about six years. And it's now to the point where I find myself playing along most of the time. Fully engaged. Fully involved. I'm part of the session, which is it's like a musical conversation, really. And it's so much fun to, to be caught up. And this, you know, Irish music, have you ever heard it? It's like wildly happy, deeply beautiful music that makes you want to dance. That's what it is. And to be able to just get drawn into this amazing musical conversation that's happening and be able to play along. Folks, prayer in the Holy Spirit is like that. We're drawn in. And if we don't quit, but if we keep at it, it becomes more and more wonderful. This is what it means to pray in the Holy Spirit. This is what it's about. And you find yourself at peace. You find yourself having new hope. You find yourself able to love someone you didn't think you could love or forgive someone you didn't think you could forgive. You're encouraged. 
I pray that that's true for you and for me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.